0: Like if you've chosen this career, you already have, in my opinion, the most respectable quality that exists and that you want to help people. You've decided I'm not going to be an investment baker and make a ton of money because of that. Like I already think you deserve whatever the hell you want in life. You deserve all the good stuff because you're going to make your life more difficult and an effort to help others.
1: Friends. Welcome to the Hardbat Athletics Inside and Out podcast. I'm your host, Derek Batman, and I am super excited for you to hear from our brilliant guests this season. My guest today is Nick Habish. Nick owns Shark Bite Fitness and Nutrition and Athletic Recovery Services with two locations of each business in Southwest Florida. Nick is an Army veteran and a two-brain business mentor where he helps gym owners grow their gyms to help more people in their community. Nick also owns a team in the Florida Grid League. After all these years as a gym owner, Nick still has a deep love for coaching group classes. He's also great at developing teams that support the overall mission of his businesses. Nick and I talk about the importance of fun as it relates to exercise, why so many people still struggle with their health and fitness, and practical tips that you can implement wherever you are in your fitness journey. We talk about the Grid League and why Nick loves grid as a sport. Nick has an infectious attitude, and I believe that's a large part of what makes him a great coach and a great leader. Enjoy the show. Before we dive into today's episode i want to give a huge shout out to our amazing sponsor lucid branding solutions if you're running a service-based business and looking to boost your profitability you'll want to hear this lucid branding solutions is your go-to partner for transforming your business's online presence they specialize in creating visually stunning media that's not just eye-catching but tells the story of your brand in a compelling way but that's not all in today's digital world having a strategy is key Lucid branding doesn't just throw ideas at the wall to see what sticks, they craft tailored digital media strategies that align with your business's goals, ensuring that your brand not only gets noticed, but remembered. And let's talk about leads. We all know how crucial they are. Lucid branding optimizes lead nurture systems, ensuring that from the first point of contact, your potential customers are engaged, informed, and ready to take action. Plus, in a world driven by data, Lucid Branding Solutions stays ahead of the curve. They provide top-tier data insights, giving you a competitive edge and keeping your business at the forefront of your customers' minds. So if you're ready to take your service-based business to the next level with a branding strategy that's as smart as it is stylish, visit Lucid Branding Solutions today. That's www.lucidbrandingsolutions.com. Trust me, your brand deserves this kind of brilliance. Now let's get back to the show. Nick Habish, welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, what's up, Batman? How you doing? I'm good, man. How you doing this morning?
0: I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I, uh, I just got to have an
1: ice bath, so I'm feeling nice and awake. <laughs> oh, man. How often do you do, th- do that?
0: Um, I, buy, I, I, I bought it off-brand that I'm not going to call out publicly on a podcast. Um, so it took like two months to get here, but I, I've had it officially set up for about three weeks now, and I'm pretty happy with it. So I'm, I'm doing it just about every day.
1: Do you have the standing kind, or do you have to lie down?
0: No, I, I I can fit in it. Like you and I are both pretty tall guys, so I was really concerned about getting any of the brands that you that weren't spacious. You know, um, like the barrel. One, yeah, yeah. and I don't have very good squat mobility, so I didn't want to have to do like a deep <laughs> squat. You know, um, now this one I can sit in. I can get not fully laid out, but uh, I can get under pretty easily. So
1: nice. Yeah, we have some like really big. Um, I believe they're they're just like they're like horse troughs at the gym that we someone found for us uh, in three different sizes at Home Depot on sale uh, that we'll use during the summer months. Um, but they're they're quite a pain to kind of like fill and maintain at the facility. Uh, I had looked into uh, like the barrel that you can buy for your house that has like the little steps to get up into it. But for me, the thought of contorting my six foot four frame into this like barrel, I'm like something about this just is is not going to work out. Yeah, that's
0: exactly how I felt. And the the uh, I you know I live in Florida, so I set up an ice bath probably two months ago, three months ago, four months ago, something like that, a while ago. And it took me or it was almost 200 bucks worth of ice I had to get plus plus a two hour setup. I was like, okay, you you've sold me. I, I get it.
1: Yeah. So, wait, does yours automatically cool and heat?
0: Yep. I have a chiller. So it just it sits at 10 degrees Celsius all the time.
1: Oh, fantastic. Now, do yeah. you have to put anything in the water, uh, like chlorine or anything to keep?
0: <laughs> yeah. I learned that the hard way because I wasn't putting anything <laughs> in it. <laughs> and, and I got in one time and I put my foot down and I slipped. I, I fell because there was like a, a nice little jelly at the bottom.
1: <laughs> oh no, <laughs> Great little toe jam.
0: Yeah. So oh, that's funny. Got to put like a little floater with like a cleaning solution in it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I had that experience. I, um, in moving to my new house a few years back, we, we had a pool, and it's beautiful. And like the, the previous owners had spent all sorts of money to put this thing in. And uh, I was excited. And then I re- realized really quickly that this is a job, <laughs> you know, and like, <laughs> yeah. it's not cool if it's green, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not cool then. Oh man. Well, you're probably, you're probably like the fourth or fifth guest that regularly now jumps into ice baths. Do you, do you see this as something that is going to continue on or you think it'll be a fad?
0: Um, I think just like anything, it'll be a fad for the most part, you know, but that, I mean, I'm, I'm in this... I'm in the, the corner of like, if a placebo works, it works, right? If if something makes you, I'm, and I'm not necessarily saying ice baths or a placebo, but just in general, like even if they don't yeah. have the world changing effects that some people will apply, they have, um, if they make you feel better and it takes you four minutes, like what's wrong with that, you know?
1: Yeah, I will say I spent a couple months doing cold showers in the morning. Um, and it was mainly because when my daughter was first born, it was like the easiest way to get myself up and moving that didn't involve 600 milligrams of caffeine. Um, you know, when you're getting three hours of sleep at night, like you need something to put some pep in your step. And if nothing else, you're up. <laughs> like at, at five in the morning, if you're taking a cold shower for three minutes or you're hopping in an, in an ice bath, like you're, you're you don't, you don't want to go back to bed. You are up.
0: Yeah. I feel very awake afterwards. That's for sure. And, and I've tried to do the cold showers here when I lived in upstate New York, when I was in the army, I, I would do that. But here in Florida, the water doesn't get cold. So you could, put it as cold as it goes. It's it's like warm water anyway, you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, so in Florida, you own shark bite fitness uh, in Southwest Florida, and you have two locations, correct?
0: Yep, I do in, uh, in Cape Coral and in Fort Myers there are two cities that are right next to each other down here.
1: Nice. And what made you want to get into gym ownership in the first place?
0: um so I was I was in the army when I was younger I'm 35 now I joined the army when I was 18 and um, I was not into fitness I was definitely not like your normal um like workout head at all uh I I knew I needed to be in better shape than I was an army physical training sucks Like that's a little known fact it's very very lame it's boring it's not fun and it honestly doesn't get you very fit it just makes you very mentally tough um so Sometime in between my first, actually, I think right after my second deployment, I decided uh, like, I needed to be in better shape. So I found CrossFit um, and I got my ass just absolutely handed to me in a CrossFit workout with somebody um, after I was talking all kinds of smack about how CrossFit wasn't very good. Uh, and I, I got hooked like immediately. I was like, okay, this is this is something I want to be doing, you know.
1: It's funny. You, you I was just thinking, you never hear the opposite of that story. Like no one's ever like I got into CrossFit and I found it really easy. Yeah. Maybe Matt Frazier, but like see mine is him. Your story is everyone's origin story with CrossFit.
0: Yeah, and and in the army especially at that time, probably the entire military at that time, it was very popular to crap on CrossFit, to just to just say it was lame. And, but speaking completely unknowledgeably, you know, no the, none of these people had experienced it. It was just the boogeyman that you talk bad about, you know, um, and then eventually, you know, one person would try it and all of a sudden they were a cultist and that little by little thing would happen to everybody you knew, you know,
1: I think every time you introduce something kind of extreme to an, to an average body of people, people love to make fun of it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think you see the same kind of, uh, mentality around some of these Spartan races and like the Ninja warrior stuff people are kind of like, you're a, you're a dad, bro. Like, why are you swinging around? You know? Uh, so I I think there's some of that and obviously there's some jealousy baked in there, but, um, yeah, I mean, I came from the traditional exercise science background and I felt the same way. Uh, like everyone inside of the university level or at the university level would, would just kind of like, would, would blow it off. They're like, Oh, this is going to be a fad. It's going to go away. This is stupid.
0: Yeah. that was definitely part of it. You know, there were the, the, the traditional people who had run and done pushups forever and, and done like men's health magazine stuff. That, that was like how people in the Army stayed fit, just believing the new fad was going to go away. But then there was also this uh, additional thing where most of the people talking about CrossFit were the officers. So, you know, you're like this, this combat vet dude. And then this 23-year-old uh, brand new lieutenant who just got out of his like communications degree or something is telling you about how like everything you know is wrong and you need to be doing CrossFit. So immediately you're like, yeah, I don't trust that. That makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, would, that, would, uh, that was how I found it. And then um, when I got out of the Army, uh, or when I was thinking about getting out of the Army, I was trying to think about what I was going to do. I went to school, I went to college to become an athletic trainer, like a certified athletic, athletic trainer. So similar to, to like human performance or exercise physiology. And I, I was recognizing that I wasn't really able to help people with that as much as I wanted to. Like I liked what I was getting from it, but I didn't like what I was going to be able to do with that degree. So me and a couple of buddies, uh, decided to open up a gym. I was, I was not, a, not an owner at the beginning. I was a coach, uh, but I it was like, I became a partner very shortly after we opened up, but it was, it was fun. It was like, this is a way we can actually affect a lot of people every day, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it I think it's one of the, the easiest transitions into a a place where you can help the most amount of people in the shortest amount of time. Not to say that it's an easy transition in starting a gym, but in terms of like, if your goal is to help people in the health and fitness space, it's, it's one of the best avenues to do it because there's just so few barriers to entry in comparison to doing some other things.
0: Yeah, when I went to I went to a course, uh, I think it was like, I think it was called CrossFit mobility back then. I'm not sure if that's still what it's called. But this is almost 10 years ago at this point. And the physical therapist teaching it, he had a really good point. He was like, I got, you know, I'm a, I'm a PT. I get to work with like nine patients a day, you know, that means I I get nine people. I get to have hands on or or make a connection or or make an effect with, you're going to see 60 or 70 in a day. So like, you're going to have a higher return than I will on what you can actually do out of this. And, And that's, I've always kind of kept that in my head whenever I think about what we do as a gym, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I always use it as a conversational point. And think about it from the perspective of CrossFit or your fitness journey, you know, whatever it is you choose to do is is basically like an additional insurance policy, like you need to look at it at that same level of value, because it's not just for you, it's for your entire family. And you can argue that it's almost more impactful in many cases, than your actual health insurance right? Because it's something you're actually utilizing every single day.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's preventative, right? And it, it's hard to to measure the value of preventative service, right? But I mean, if you if you take care of your car, and your car exists for five more years, that's better than if you didn't take care of your car, and it doesn't exist, and you have to buy a new car.
1: Now, you also own a Florida uh, grid league team, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do the, uh, the South of Florida Sharks. And how'd you get involved with that? How'd I get involved with
0: that? The commissioner of the, the Florida grid league is, uh, as matter He's a good friend of mine. He and his sister Ruby, the, the director of operations, they were team owners in the original, uh, like national grid league that, what was that? 10 years ago, uh, that popped up
1: uh, about, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, they were team owners. Uh, they were they were in love with the sport. That organization had its organizational hurdles that made it not be
1: around anymore. <laughs> That's a good um, way of putting it.
0: Yeah, they are they are very very smart, business minded people who who were passionate about sports. So they decided like we don't want this to die. Let's let's continue this. So they, they created the, the Florida Grid League, and it started as a um, kind of like a like a, a very amateur like like pop up competition thing. Like there'd be like a grid competition in Miami or one in Orlando or or whatever, they were really smart about kind of generating interest all over our state, all over Florida with it, you know. Then they announced plans to start a league or a season, uh, and then they very smartly recruited people who had you know the means and the and the passion to uh, an undervalued point was like the leadership ability to to start an organization and and run a team, you know. Um, I was I think I think I was the third team. Recruited. It was like Miami, Tampa, and then us.
1: How many are there in total now?
0: There's eight, eight across the state. We're in season seven right now. We're in the playoffs. We play in two weeks um, and then the season will be over. But it was super fun. I mean, I was kind of similar to CrossFit. I was kind of like a grid hater. I was like, this is not, this is weird. This isn't CrossFit. This is new. I don't know what this is. And
1: can you, uh, just because we have so many listeners that are obviously very keen uh, and tuned into the CrossFit world, can you explain a little bit about the differences and uh, what kind of makes Grid League unique in the way that it runs?
0: Yeah, for sure. Mather's going to be so happy you asked me that question. Um, the difference is CrossFit is uh, like first and foremost a training principle, a training a training theory, a training methodology. And that's awesome. Like, that's actually what I love about CrossFit is the, the training portion. You know, I think it's the best thing that's ever happened to fitness. It would be hard to argue against that, I think, with the popularization of like every niche off brand that started because of CrossFit, you know? Okay, so that's one thing. Then CrossFit also has like a competitive wing, right? The competitive wing of CrossFit, in my opinion, for the most part is is just who is the fittest person. You know, most times the fittest person will win. You know, there's some variables in there. There's injury. There's very specific strengths and weaknesses. But for the most part, averaging out over enough events, the fittest person will usually win. And that's cool. That's what the sport is. You take the team version of CrossFit. It's basically who has the four fittest people, right? Or the six fittest or whatever it is right now. The grid's the exact opposite of that. The movements are the same, but it's a whole lot closer to like uh, like football in that like, there's wide receivers and offensive linemen on the same team. And what's really cool about grid is that oftentimes, I I would argue most times, actually, the fittest team doesn't win um, because it's so strategy heavy. On my team, we have a guy, his name's Quentin, he weighs... 110 pounds can't pick up a 35 pound catabella without hurting himself. Like we've, we've learned that the hard way, but he can like run on his hands and he can do like backwards, roll the supports on the rings and he can do all kinds of things that that, don't, that defy physics and logic, you know? And you have like these, these Jack dudes who can snatch 350 in our league, you know? And Quentin is the scariest person in grid. And everybody knows that because he runs onto the grid and the other team just goes like, ah, oh, fuck we lost. <laughs> you know? And like, that's, that's something that's really, really cool about grid is, is that he is so valuable Whereas, like in CrossFit, you you know you go to a competition and you can't thruster one thirty five, you may as well not be there.
1: So it just basically takes the the specialists that would do terribly in CrossFit and gives them kind of a, a safe haven to to demonstrate their skills and you know and, and like utilize them for the betterment of a team.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what's really cool about it. And some, some demos that I think would like generally do poorly at CrossFit. So take like larger women, you know, stronger women who maybe not be quite as good at like burpees or gymnastics. Um, smaller guys who may not have like the top level strength to do say like very heavy cleans or squats or snatches or whatever. Those players can be extremely valuable in grid. In fact, they, like those two demos I just said are actually the most valuable ones in grid. Um, and it's up to a coach to put together up to 18 people and utilize all of their strengths. You know.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. And are the events announced uh, in advance, or does it do they get rolled out as the event goes on?
0: Yeah, I guess that's another difference, right? Is like we know our matches pretty early, um, so like our playoffs are happening November second and third, I believe, uh, Friday and a Saturday. Like I know the match we're playing the Orlando Aces in, and I know the match that if we move on to the championship, we'll be playing the other team in. So our players have the ability to practice these things. There's just like tons of rehearsal and tons of looking for little ways to save one half second on a movement. And to do that over twenty or thirty reps and then because of that win the race, you know? Yeah.
1: Now you're still competing in this yourself, correct? I am
0: personally not. This year I retired. I'm uh it was it was just entirely too stressful to be running into a race, jumping onto the sideline, coaching it, going back into the race. I decided like I'm at thirty five, <laughs> I'm done. It's over. Yeah. I, I hung
1: my sneakers up, you know too many spinning plates man yeah, too many sure. spinning plates yeah i mean it's uh it's so funny like coming anyone that comes from like an athletic background it's so hard to hang it up um and the nice thing that i think is we're starting to see more of now is there's just more opportunities for people that want to compete in something and not take it like crazy seriously, but at least have some, some performance-based goals to, to work towards. You can pick it back up whenever you want. It doesn't mean that it's, it's ever going to be easy to put it back down.
0: Yeah. Like that's actually something that I think CrossFit is fantastic for, right? Is the idea that like you're done doing the thing you did, whatever that is. There's a whole world of like semi-competitiveness you can be jumping into.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, And at any level, right? Like you could do the, you could just look forward to the open every single year and never have any aspirations of going beyond that, but just wanting to compete within the pool of the people in your gym and the, and people you're in, you're in your age bracket. Yeah. I love that. Now, Alongside of running a grid league and owning two gyms, you are also a uh, gym mentor uh, or gym owner mentor through Two Brain Business, um, which I've been involved with now for a number of years. How has your experience as a mentor and working with so many different gym owners helped transform you as a leader and a gym owner?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, right with Two Brain Business, I'm a business mentor in the growth and ramp up programs. And then I'm a, I'm a coach in the Tinker Mastermind program. It's, it's been awesome. That's currently the most rewarding thing I do for sure. You know, you think about you, me, everyone we know when we were brand new gym owners, or even, let's not let's not just say brand new, but inexperienced and more importantly, we don't have a network of people we can share information with. Like we don't have a group to learn from, you know, that that level of experience. Um, I love working with owners that are at that phase of their, their career because it's all ambition, but no idea how to get there, you know? um so i, I love it's like, it's like hard work without strategy exactly 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 right and like because you don't get into this industry generally with like without the passion portion you know there's like other things you could do so i love working with that group of people and 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 just kind of helping them understand how to connect a to b and b to c because the result can be so good and it, the result that's i think that's something i'll say too that i love is that the result is different for everybody some people are trying to make a bunch of money. Some people are just trying to affect a bunch of change. Some of the people I work with have other careers and they're really just passionate about growing either careers for their staff or just helping people through fitness. And you get to help them do that. It's so much fun.
1: No, I would say there's, there's probably two main buckets that, when you're working with a business owner, and in this case, a gym owner, that you are trying to improve upon one being skill sets, and one being self belief. So let's Mm -hmm. kind of talk about those separately a little bit. In the skill set bucket, what are some of the main skill sets you feel that you have to instill into these gym owners and help them kind of build inside of their facilities?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to ask the question because that second one, that self belief one, is a skill set in itself, right? It's the the confidence to to know what I'm doing is right, and the thing I do helps people, and it's it's okay that it costs money, and that's going to lead to maybe some uncomfortable conversations, and that's also okay, you know. Skill set wise, you know, I think the one that's really undervalued is like quality of service, you know. Um, and that's hard to talk about sometimes from like a business mentor standpoint or, or uh, even just like common conversation because it's a little taboo, you know, but like if your service sucks, your business is going to suck. You can't just say like, I am CrossFit, therefore give me money, you know?
1: Well, there's some immeasurables in there as well, right? For like, sure. and, and sometimes this just comes off in the personality of the person running the gym and the types of people that they attract because of who they are.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. Like if you're if you're a super combative person, or if you're a super super like outwardly emotional person, you're going to naturally attract those people, you know, and if you you aim that positively or negatively, you'll attract people who are attracted positively or negatively to that, you know, if you're somebody who posts inflammatory crap on Facebook all the time, it's not gonna be surprising if you have those people join your gym a lot,
1: you know, right? Yeah. And to your point, I could see how this could be a difficult uh, thing to talk about, because we brought, we brought passion into the conversation of, most gym owners get into it because they're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the easiest business to become Luke to make lucrative, right? There's a million other directions you could go. So because of that passion, there's usually some level of it, if not ego, at least there's this like internal fire and in belief of like the thing that you're doing and being told, hey, you need to take the thing that you're doing and make it better can be a little bit of an ego hit I feel like for for young gym owners.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that's one of the benefits of having a mentor specifically, like, I mean, there's a million benefits and you and I can both speak to them. But like, I think that's having the ability to have somebody who can be like, Hey, look, I know you. I respect you. Here's a thing I'm telling you, you might not like, but I'm only telling you this because like, that's what you're paying me for. Having that, I think is, is invaluable because it's very easy to go down a path for a while and have nobody around you tell you it's a bad idea.
1: You know? Yeah. So outside of quality of service, what else is on that plate? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, understanding metrics.
0: I think very few gym owners join, you know, start our career, start our business, understanding like the valuable things you need to know about your business. Um, you know, I think every, almost everybody I've ever talked to, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll just say me. I'll say me. I know when I first started, I thought having the most members was the most important thing. You know, the, the more members you get, the better your business is. And I remember bragging to my friends who were gym owners around here about how I had more members than them, you know, back in the day. Um, you know, there was, a point where my gym had like 250 members and I thought that that meant we were the most successful gym by far, you know, um, we also made no money. <laughs> I didn't make any money. <laughs> my, my staff weren't paid. Um, we didn't have enough equipment. There's a, our coaching service was far lower than I thought it was quality wise, you know, so understanding metrics, but then like learning things like arm and leg, you know, your average revenue per member and your length of engagement understanding how valuable those are versus say your total number of members i think that's something that we we have to teach people right at the beginning and that feels wrong you know because that's just not what feels like the correct metric because you want big classes
1: you know it's so funny when i whenever i use the term arm and leg with people that are outside of my space when i'm explaining something within the fitness industry they always find it funny that it's like paralleled to like physiology And I think to myself, but, but it very heavily is because in the same way, there's metrics that are oftentimes not being tracked with our fitness clients that just by, just by like starting to measure things like food intake and regular weight check-ins, it all, all of a sudden it reframes the person's fitness journey. Right. And we see this all the time. Like the minute someone starts measuring their food and like tracking macros, they're just like, oh my gosh, like they're, they're, they're thought process around food selection changes instantaneously. And I, I'm sure you see the same thing with gym owners is as they start tracking some of these really important, you know, key performance indicators, it starts to change their behavior of how they're running their gyms.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's exactly like you get the person to start writing a food diary. All of a sudden they lose seven pounds. It's just because now I'm not eating three burgers. I'm eating one burger. You know, the the arm is the same way or, or leg is the same way or understanding, you know, your expenses the same way, understanding maybe you don't need to buy a new rower every month, like as soon as you start tracking that it gets better. It's wild idea.
1: Yeah, now let's let's move into the other bucket. So in terms of self beliefs, uh, what, what do you think are some of the biggest hurdles that gym owners need to get over in the very beginning?
0: Yeah this is this is my niche right here. This is the the thing that I am best at and I feel most comfortable working with is like if you've chosen this career, you already have in my opinion the most respectable quality that exists and that like you're altruistic, right? You 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 want to help people. You you've decided I'm not gonna be an investment maker and make a ton of money. I'm gonna argue with a 40 year old dude who doesn't wanna squat real well so that I can make his life qualitatively <laughs> better, you know? Like you've chosen that. So, because of that, like I already think you deserve whatever the hell you want in life. You deserve all the good stuff because you're gonna make your life more difficult and an effort to help others, you know? Um, so, that group of people who, who's kind of struggling with that self confidence a little bit that, am I really good enough to do this? Am I really helping people the way I wanna be helping people? Am I ever going to be able to pay my mortgage? Like the, that group of people, like I love working with that demo. A big part of it is just remembering that like what you do saves lives. If you're in the gym space, what you do saves lives. And that's not an over-exaggeration. That's not an embellishment. We just talked about like, this is preventative medicine and we, we don't call it that yet, but we will eventually. You know, like this is as important as any doctor's visit you've ever been to, I guess, until you have something terminal and it needs to be taken care of. You know, like the the idea that, you're going to choose to do this with your life means you deserve as much reward as is possible. Okay. So knowing that helping people see that, like, you know what I mean? Like you are, when you, when you have a client who like, is like, I don't know if I'm getting stronger. And you're like, dude, you've squatted 40 more pounds than you used to squat. Like that's clearly you getting stronger. Gym owners know that is something we have to do. And and just kind of reminding them, like, look at the progress you've made. Look at the success you're having. Look at the help you're doing for others. That's a big part of that, that self-belief thing. You know, does that make sense?
1: it reminds me of the gap in the gain mm-hmm. in the difference of constantly comparing ourselves to other people in the industry or our competitors um the people we may look up to rather than comparing ourselves to our the previous versions of ourselves and looking back in, in our track history and seeing all the improvements we've made to get to where we are you know i, I think and again like i i'm gonna keep making this parallel just because it's so simple like there are people that have fitness goals that they, ha- they have a three-year goal that they want to accomplish in three months Right. And I'm not, and, and, but gym ownership's the same way. Like mm-hmm. you, your description of, of lack of self-beliefs is like, it just so heavily reminded me of my first like five or six years of gym ownership of, there was a point in time where I was wondering, I was like, if I choose this path long-term, am I actually going to have to sacrifice all of the other things in my life like is this is it that level of a sacrifice that i'm not going to be able to have multiple kids because i can't afford it i won't be able to have a mortgage because i can't afford it right like there i won't be able to ever travel like i i don't think i traveled more than like a weekend at a time for like the first six years of owning a gym same you know and like (laughs) so it's it's just funny like when it's so hard to get yourself out of that mindset without the presence of A mentor, and I think that that's really the biggest, like, transformative opportunity for gym owners is having someone to to be that third party outside of that their core at the gym that that is with them day in and day out to help pull them away from it. The limiting of the self belief, like the when you 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 were talking about your first couple
0: years as a gym owner, and I I think about my first couple years. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing that like your only experience was other gym owners in your area who may or may not have been successful
1: either, right? For the most part, I mean, the online presence was much more limited back then.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Instagram, like Instagram wasn't out, there wasn't like millions of people touting their success on Instagram in 2014.
0: Right, exactly, and so that's why I said going back to you know, who has the most members was like our only comparative metric, you know, because nobody was going to talk about how much money they were making or not making. But knowing what I know now, it's very clear how much money many gyms were making back then, you know, the the idea that we hadn't seen success, no, nobody had seen anybody else be successful. So the, so somebody traveling, a gym owner traveling, doesn't seem possible, because who's going to coach 5am on Monday, you know, right, to know that there are gym owners who do that, and do live that lifestyle as a new gym owner, even if you're not there yet right now, just knowing that that exists and knowing that somebody can clearly take you on the path to that wildly powerful.
1: Yeah, I think for, for the the uneducated looking into or asking questions to a gym owner it is similar to the uneducated asking questions about fitness, like the the, the, the coined question in fitness is like, how much do you bench? <laughs> right. And then when, when you're a gym owner, it's like, well, how many members do you have? Yep. You know? So I think it's really easy in the very beginning to lean on that so heavily and you're in, in like the belief of like using that as like the ultimate arbitrator of how, of how successful your gym is. Yeah.
0: Well, I think you just, you hit a great point right there. How successful your gym is. Right. And that question or that idea is completely different for everybody because you, as the business owner, get to decide what the measure of success for you is. And when you're new, you have no idea what that's going to be, you know?
1: Right. That, well, what... now you, you, you have exposure to gyms, I'm sure that have 400 members and are barely breaking even. And you have gyms that have 70 members and are massively profitable.
0: Yeah, for sure. And oftentimes that 70 member gym, the owner's making more money than the 400 member gym, you know,
1: and has a better schedule, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, High, like... a higher quality of life for sure. Yep. Yeah.
1: yeah. Because that's, I mean, that part right there, I think is, um, is another one to, it's very difficult to, to grapple with as a gym owner, because you are so passionate and you want to have your hands in everything. But as your life evolves, like you forget the fact that like life is going to go on and you're going to get older and you're going to have a family and want to do things and start to, removing yourself from your gym is, in my opinion, one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Removing yourself from your gym is in any facet, because like I that phrase used to scare the hell out of me. Removing removing yourself from the gym, because I didn't want to be removed from the gym. I like what I do a lot. I like what I do a lot, a lot, a lot. And even this many years in with all the things you were saying I was doing, like, I still coach group classes. I still I still love coaching group classes. So I made a lifestyle in which I get to coach group classes, you know. But you're right. If you're still doing everything in your gym business, it can't grow. And you probably can't live the lifestyle you want to live, no matter how much money. You
1: yeah, make. It, it's funny you say that. I was just having a conversation last night on the, the way home from um, the Phillies game. And uh, it, my favorite thing now is to sit across from somebody. In, in And this could be... It could be during a personal training session. It could be after a class while we're just sitting and having a conversation. It could be someone reaching out to me, uh, you know, out on a limb through a social media or whatever. The the opportunity to have a conversation with someone that wants to achieve something, but sees a roadblock in front of them, whether it be a belief issue um, or a logistics issue, a timing issue, the general belief that they have this goal and for whatever reason they can't accomplish it. Helping people do the kind of like the mental jujitsu to reframe the problem and see it as something that they can actually achieve for themselves that is by far my favorite thing to do in coaching like if i could do that all day that's all i would do
0: yeah that problem that problem solving and realize like you see the end result you're like okay i know how to get you here you know that they can see the beginning and the end but the middle is murky and because you've done this a bunch of times you have examples of how to get them through that murkiness right like that's so
1: much fun i love that yeah. It's, and it's all, it's just reframing, right? Cause at the end of the day, it's like they frame it in some sort of a negative light and in a way that is not going to be, they're not going to have the ability to accomplish it. And you reframe in a way of, no, this is actually quite manageable and it doesn't need to be as difficult as you you're making it out to be. The story you're telling yourself is what's holding you back the most.
0: Yeah. That story you're telling yourself is so powerful, right? Because we don't, I think most of the time we don't, we're not aware when we're telling ourselves those stories and in, in, in anything, you know, in, in whatever whatever limiting beliefs you have, you're not always aware that you're doing it, whether it's about money or fitness or health or happiness or whatever. And you really need somebody else to be like, yo, why do you think that?
1: Yeah, there's if I ever start another podcast, there's two two titles. So no one please steal these. But one is find your parachute because I love people that uh, make a leap and then just figure it out on the way. And the other one is break my beliefs. Like I would love to have a podcast where I just bring people on to like crush my beliefs and, and the beliefs of some of the listeners in like some of the most common things that people believe that aren't true or that they could see the world differently.
0: I like, I like that idea. I, I like that idea a lot. The first one you said though, the, the parachute one, I love that. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer. And if, if you're passionate enough about something, like go for it, you know, and the once you go for it, you're going to be like, shit, I got to figure out how I do this. And that's scary, but yeah,
1: you know. I think the average person <laughs> greatly overestimates how much people actually know what they're doing. Yes.
0: I, okay, you so know? that right there. When I was in the Army, I thought, I said this constantly. I was, you know, I was an infantryman, I was 22 years old, and I was a squad leader, which is as young as you can possibly be that, right? And I can't tell you how many times I would say to myself, like, if anyone had any idea how little I know about what I'm doing right now, you know, there's, there's nine guys whose lives are in my hands from the morning, from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, millions and millions of dollars in my responsibility all the time. I'd be making shit up as I went and everybody <laughs> around me was too. Like it wasn't just me, you know? Yeah. That, that gave me a really important perspective to realize that nobody knows what they're doing ever on anything, you know?
1: No and 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 I think there's some um, there's some humility in that but there's also there's lessons baked in there you know like you you have to recognize that hard things are worth doing and that it requires problem solving forever. Like you're you're never gonna get to the land of freedom from problem solving. And yeah. you probably, actually not probably, you 1000% wouldn't want that. Like, no, we think about this from like the, the retirement perspective. It's like everyone, I guess like, you imagine this heavenly place of like, you're on the beach, you have the margarita and you're reading a book and you're watching the waves. And it's like, okay, like four hours goes by, now what? Right. Like now what's next? And and I think that this is where we all need a bone to, to gnaw on. Right. Oh and gosh. and the reality is that like it that needs to be something that's challenging and difficult and force us in into problem solving. It's the, the absence of that is not peace.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with that. The the problem solving I think is the thing, right? Because people assume that if you're the CEO of a company, you know everything you need to know about being the CEO of the company. And that's, I believe untrue almost all of the time. You but you've learned the problem solving skills to just deal with the problems that come with that role. You know, and then you you go to your next thing, you've taken those problem solving skills and you now apply them to your new like rule book. You know, I, I feel like that's kind of just what the most successful people do over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, I heard there was a quote, I'm going to totally paraphrase it, but it was basically like, people that get things done spend time around other people that get things done. And it, and it made a, it made me think about kind of like my own personal experience and trajectory as like a, a thought leader and gym owner and and a business owner. And like how I keep kind of leveling up into circles where I get around people. And yes, in the, initially I have this feeling of imposter syndrome, but I should have that feeling because- yeah. I'm moving into a new level, right? Like I'm just kind of the, I'm the rookie, I'm the beginner. But what it does is it expands. Speaking of breaking my beliefs, it expands my worldview because like I see now 30 different opportunities or angles or directions that I could take with my life that I didn't even know existed prior to that.
0: Yeah. I have felt that in every new group of individuals I get into. And then if I don't feel that I'm uninterested in being around that group of individuals. But if we take that back to the gym space, right? Like That mentality, when a person joins the gym and, and they're maybe not in the shape they want to be in and they haven't been doing this on a regular basis, and then they get there and they meet people who come in six days a week, and those people aren't like psychopaths. They're just normal people who have made time in their weekly schedule to get to the gym five to six times a week. You start thinking like, oh my God, I can be one of those people too. I don't actually have to give up everything in my life to accomplish this. you know.
1: Yeah. I don't remember who said this, but there was a quote that went out that was like, you're your heroes are just people that became incredibly obsessed about a very narrow field of things and did it for a very long time. Right. And it's like, I think that's how people view people that are in their forties or fifties and are just unbelievably fit. It's like the the reality is they're just average people that have consistently worked out for two or three decades. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And that two or three decades is what it is. It's not, they're not doing anything probably wildly special. They're just consistently doing it for a very long time,
1: you know? So let me ask you this. If you could give young Nick a piece of advice going into gym ownership, and it can't be get a mentor, Mm -hmm. what would it be? You know, if you can't be
0: get a mentor, I would I would tell them to try to surround yourself around other people you think are actually successful. You know, I, I know that's kind of like peer mentorship, so I guess that's kind of a cop-out. Another one would be like start thinking about how you value the people around you, right? So young Nick in the gym business knew I wanted a team of people around me. I I knew I wanted staff. I I never wanted to be a one-man show that was really important to me, but I was grasping for anybody who would come near me. You know, I wasn't evaluating the people around me well enough, and that led to some very expensive and emotionally challenging mistakes, you know? So I, I don't know how I would say to do that, but that's the the, the direction I would aim that young dude in for sure.
1: I heard a, um, a statistic yesterday on a podcast that really heavily relates to the point you made around getting around successful people. So they've, they've done a handful of studies looking at people within the low socioeconomic, uh, people with low socioeconomic status and the neighborhoods or areas that they grew up in. And the people that were exclusively surrounded by people of just, uh, low socioeconomic status in comparison to those that grew up in more like split neighborhoods where there was like, you know, bigger houses, nicer cars, like more wealthy people, the people that even just spent time around wealthier people earned 33% more throughout the course of their life. Right. And I think, and again, like this is that bending of the worldview. I think it's just giving you, it's giving you a portal into what's possible.
0: Yeah. I I fully believe that to be true, by the way. Like I I grew up in Not the best situations always, you know, like my parents are amazing people, neither from graduated high school. I think I might be the first person to have gone to college in my like line, you know, Um, and that's really only because the army paid for it. Then I I look at like, say my wife who grew up in New Jersey and, and just a very different upbringing than I did. And I meet some of her friends and I think about the things that they were exposed to at a young age that they know about and things that, you know, in the say in the ticker group that you and I are learning about in 2023, they've known about since 1992. And I'm, I'm amazed about that. But if you, if you're around the people that can expose you to those things, and you are a person who can take advantage of those things, you're going to have a better opportunity than if not,
1: right? Well, then this is kind of the main point of the book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, mm-hmm. right? It's, Absolutely. is it's, it's it's just the the observation of the types of behaviors and decisions that the rich dad makes in comparison to the poor dad it's not necessarily the direct teaching
0: yeah and you ever you ever get exposed to something so much you think like oh i don't have to actually consume that media because i know the i like i know the idea to it that was rich dad poor dad for me i'd like heard so many people talk about it that i didn't think i ever needed to actually listen to the book or read the book um i i listened to it a month ago And I was like, my God, where was this 10 years ago, dude? Like what? (laughs) My life would have been so much easier and I would have made so much more money if I would have just read this damn book. You know?
1: Yeah, it's, it's. I'm not far off from you. I think I listened to that on audiobook probably a little over a year ago. And it was the same thing. It was like, to me, I put that book on the same level as like... um, Uh, Like, how to win friends and influence people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's a classic. Everyone talked about it. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and like, luckily for me, I was forced to read How to Win Friends and Influence People when I was in college, and I loved it. And I've read it multiple times since. But there are other books that I'm just in the same boat. I'm like, I'll get the summary.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Like, I've heard about it enough. I'm sure I know the keynotes here. Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, when you and I were in Austin for uh, Tinker Meetup, we nerded out for probably a good hour just talking everything CrossFit and fitness and nutrition and health um, while we were probably eating not so healthy food <laughs> ourselves. Yeah, <that's> <laughs> uh, the, the good old, the irony of gym ownership. Um, but with that said, I, I want to dive down this rabbit hole a little bit because I think that We're, I don't want to say we're at a precipice, but like we are, we are at a very interesting time, especially in the United States as it relates to uh, the obesity epidemic um, and some really big decisions that need to be made in the way that healthcare and preventative healthcare for that matter are going to take place and. Uh, influence our population over the course of the next couple decades. So my my first question is, what do you think are some of the the biggest opportunities that we're missing out on at this very moment to to help transform the current epidemic that's going on with our health in this country?
0: Um, yeah, that man, what a great question. I think a belief I have is that people will ignore the obvious for the, you know, the new and the sexy, right? So so for example, like ice baths, right? Like I'm enjoying doing that right now. I think if I didn't work out on a regular basis, an ice bath would be a waste of time. Trendy, fitnessy things, saunas, mouth taping, stuff like diet-wise, keto or paleo or fasting. This idea of like something being new and sexy being the right thing versus things that we can all agree are definitely the right things like just exercising on a daily basis or eating like 10% less than you have been right does that make sense like those are so boring but they are so clearly the right answer I I wish we could help people understand that they don't need the sexiest newest thing you
1: know (laughs) yeah and and along with that understanding that the biggest impact you make on your health is usually within the first 10 pounds, 10 pounds or 10% of of body weight lost, right? Like in other words, the biggest increase in your health and fitness occurs from the lowest quartile to the second quartile. Mm. It's not from 75% to 90%. It's like at that level. Yes. Like your, your performance indicators look great, but like your level of health doesn't adjust that much. But just going to the gym two or three times a week, just starting to drink enough water, just starting to get in seven thousand plus steps a day, those move the needle way more than like trying to attain this like bodybuilder yeah, yeah, sure. type that, look. That
0: exactly. I um, listened to a Ben Bergeron podcast. Can't remember if it was his or if he was on somebody. It's probably about a year and a half ago, and um, he said something on it, or maybe it was the other guy. On it. I can't remember. They said something on there that like. Rattled my brain because it was a thought I've had inside, but I hadn't put into words. Um, It talked about instead of taking people from like a B to an A fitness wise, taking people from like a D to a C plus, you know. And that is a feeling that I've been feeling for a very long time. In fact, it's a a big part of why I deaffiliated from CrossFit. In the you know the brand in general, was because I'm far less motivated to help somebody hit their 97 percent snatch than I am to like, get Bobby to like, just show up three times a week. So that his cholesterol goes down a little bit, so that he lives two more years, you know, (laughs) and maybe not the two more years, but his quality of life for those two more years is 40% higher. You know what I mean? Yep.
1: Yeah. You know, I want to bounce something off you. I was thinking about this last night, as I was wide awake from (laughs) screaming at a Phillies game (laughs) for about four hours. I was thinking that most people need to get, there's a certain hurdle that people need to get over that create a life of fitness and health that is worth maintaining, right? So let me expand on that a little bit. What I mean by that is if you don't go to gym the gym at all and you don't eat healthy at all, you likely also do not take part in activities in your life that you look forward to, right, that require some level of, of physical competency, Right. Whereas when you introduce that and you get Bobby to start going to the gym three days a week and make some slight adjustments to his nutrition, and he starts to see changes to his body, both in the way that he looks and in the things that he can do. And he now can take part in physical activities, playing with his kids, throwing a ball, doing what, going on longer walks, being able to play 18 holes and not have swollen knees. Now he has a life, right? And a level of fitness that is worth maintaining. And I feel like getting people over that initial hurdle is so helpful because it just increases the likelihood uh, that they're never yeah, going to give it they're up. Never giving it up is the real thing, right? Because you don't have to be the
0: fittest person in the world, but you have to, uh, damn it. I wish I could remember who said this to me, but you know, a 55 year old didn't forget how to jump yesterday. They haven't jumped in 30 years and that's why they can't jump right? Like the, the idea is that like, like I have a guy at my gym, his name is Joe. He's 78, 78, 79. Uh, We work out together on a pretty regular basis. He'll, he'll come to our, he'll come to a class and I'll hop in with him and when we work out and he does stuff that people I know who are 35 can't do. And it's not because he's the fittest human being in the world because he's not, but he just never stopped doing those things. You know, like he made it a point that he's going to be a person who exercises and not exercises for three hours a day and counts his macros and like does everything super specific. He's just like physical activity is not going to be something I stop doing until the day I die. And he's 79 and a whole bunch of his friends aren't around anymore, but he is,
1: you know? Yeah. Well, and much like we talked about how in business ownership and, and be becoming an entrepreneur, spending time around successful people is really transformative. The same Mm -hmm. is true on the fitness side. If, If the more time you spend around people that just, are making a million small decisions differently than you were in your previous life, it it persuades you slowly, but definitely over time to where like, you're grabbing one thing over another when you go out to the barbecue, right? Or you're choosing to do your 10 minute workout because you don't have time to put an hour workout, but before you would have just stayed in bed, right? So it's like it's those little decisions that rub off on you from spending more time around active people that I feel like really start to help. Yeah, move I, I had a really right impactful
0: thing happen. So I just got back from my honeymoon two weeks ago, three weeks ago, something like that, and um, we took a cruise. We went to we went to Europe. which flew to Greece. It was it was amazing. I could talk nice. about that for an hour. We won't, but. I, I hopped on a cruise in Greece and we went through like the Greek isles and went to Turkey. and It was fantastic. Right. So again, I live in Florida, uh, in our, in our no sweat intros and in our consultations, pretty often people will say to me, like, I want to be able to go on a cruise and and do something fun. Right. Cause we'll have like an older population down here, you know? Um, and I think I maybe didn't have a reference for that to what they were talking about. In my mind, I was like, you're on a boat, dude. Like how, how physically inactive are you that you can't enjoy being on a boat. Right. So <sighs> Okay, now fast forward to a month ago, I'm on this cruise. Every day we would go do these excursions, right? And you hop off the boat, you, you get sometimes on another boat, other times onto the dock, and, and then you go do these things. The first day, we walked around for seven and a half hours through like a busy city in, in Istanbul, Turkey. And I'm watching these people that are, are older have to just not walk anymore. Like they're, they're just like, I'll catch you later, <laughs> I'm done for the day. Then there were a couple other days where people would get to the excursion, and these people were clearly not healthy individuals, and recognize that they just can't do it. So they've spent money on it and they can't partake in this anymore, you know? Or people just never left the boat because they couldn't get off the boat. And I it was a it was a definitely a glass shattering moment for me, you know, that that that's what the downside of all this is, if you don't do these things, you know?
1: I had had a very similar kind of like epiphany moment when, so I went to Italy over the summer and there were five of us, 25 in total, I think, but, but in terms of how we were traveling with, there were five of us and one baby, my three month old, and we had 23 bags. So going from the airport to the hotel, to trains, to other like trains, and logging all of that stuff, I thought to myself, like in people, people assume that when they retire, they're going to be able to travel. Right. And granted, they're not going to have 23 bags, but just seeing the like hustle and bustle of like getting from one place to the next and like having to like scurry through these different, um, train stations and whatnot. I was like, this is a chore. Like I'm sweating right now, you know, and I'm, I'm 34 years old and fit. So imagining myself twice my age, right? It's like you're gonna need to still possess a good amount of cardiovascular endurance and muscle strength to be able to do this. it. Yeah, you don't enjoy have to be it. the
0: fittest person in the world. That's not. You don't need to have a six pack, but you need to have done things where your legs bend and you have to pick up your own body weight again. You know, like we went to Santorini, Greece, which is one of the last days, and that's like one of the Instagram islands in in Greece that everyone's always taking pictures in. You know, it's it's like up in a mountain, basically. And the only way up and down is via these like cable cars, right? And the cable cars broke when we were there. So to come back down and to make it to our boat in time, we had to walk down a mountain basically, right? And it took us 30 minutes to do this. And like, I'm, you know, I'm pretty fit. There were people who just couldn't come down. Like the boat had to wait because half our boat couldn't get down. I'm not talking about people who were like, yeah, you know, suffering from disabilities, injured. Like I'm just saying people who were like, too unfit to live life and make it back to the boat to go eat and drink you know
1: it, there's so many eye-opening experiences the more that we like mm-hmm. the more we travel and get outside of our our comfort zones as gyms because we i think we forget sometimes just how much of a filtration system a doubt. our yeah. gyms are uh you know even because even the most unfit person that walks through our doors changes fairly rapidly if they can if they're consistent if nothing else in terms of their mindset yeah, I can do around health I can and do fitness. these things because
0: I've seen other people do these things. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: I am a capable person. Yeah. Now, one of the biggest battles we face in the fitness and, and nutrition industries is the fact well, that, you know, we, we hear the analogy of like, when you don't take care of yourself, your body becomes your prison. And this might be a controversial take, but I see it as though medicine has, has while there's been some massive upsides to it, it has largely just removed the death penalty right from that prison in the way that if you got diabetes 500 years ago, Mm -hmm. you weren't making it right. If you got hypertension 500 years ago, you weren't making it. Now, people are able to go to the doctor and get prescribed a whole slew of medications, right, that come with obvious, you know, trade-offs and side effects, but that can at least prolong their life to be able to negate some of the, the negative effects of these different disease states. And I think that this, this puts us in a difficult situation because now as we're starting to see this emergence of weight loss drugs, that personally, like I have grown to appreciate the fact that they have their place at the right place and right time um, for the right individuals. So as long as they are combined with- uh, Yeah, lifestyle change. Positive yeah. lifestyle yeah. changes, right? Right. But, but, but at the same time, like where we talk about preventative care, preventative medicine, as it relates to the stuff that we do inside of our gyms. And it's, it's a really hard conversation to have with a population of people that I feel like have been, are just like constantly inundated with all of the things they could take to alleviate their uh, symptoms.
0: That's, that is such a problem because no matter what is created, you will still have to be physically active and eat a little bit more. Okay. Than you want to like those two will never change you uh like a zepic rider or whatever the other weight loss drugs are that are out there you know i have a couple ladies at my gym who've chosen to do that and that's cool two that i'm thinking of very specifically are in incredible shape right now because not only did they do that but they also made positive life change along the path of doing that and maintained those positive lifestyle changes they still exercise on a regular basis i think i think. um it's contraindicated to do like heavy lifting during that time, but they still came in and did like minor, you know, uh, uh, like maintenance style exercise during that time. And they've continued to do so. Shockingly, they haven't put weight back on. They've now started to gain significant muscle mass, which was their goal, right? Like they're, they're living positively. If you, just, if you think that just taking a shot of any kind is going to magically make you lose weight and look better and feel better and have no downside long-term, your cuckoo pants. There's no way it's not going to happen. You
1: know, (laughs) no, no. Now, because of your experience and working with so many different gym owners that run different models, and they're operationally uh, different from one another, you've had a lot of exposure to, you know, fitness on a grand scale. Um, Where do you see fitness going over the next 10 or 20 years? Um,
0: Yeah, you know, just like with anything, right? Like, People are constantly looking for quick fixes, and similar to like the Ozepic and everything else, the, I think it's going to be really important for people who are in the gym industry, and in the fitness industry, and in the health industry to preach the same message constantly. And that that message is there is no quick fix. Like you have to be willing to put a small amount of work in to do it. Like a relatively small amount of work in. Like if you can do a physical activity for three or four days a week, you will see results. If you can't do that, you will not see results. And I think like snake oil salesmen who will come in and say, if you do it for four minutes a day, you'll be fine. Or you don't need to do these things really mess up the rest of the industry and and honestly mess up the long-term health of our country, which sucks, you know? Um, So I think that that's like what what we have to push towards. And I really hope everybody feels the same way. Now, I know that's not real, but for example, I think like Peloton popping up in the last couple of years, right? Was an attempt at pushing in the opposite direction we'll make this as easy as possible for you. And shockingly, it didn't work. You know, it, it didn't like people bought really expensive bike treadmills. And now they sit at their house and they do exactly what treadmills do. They, they hold
1: clothes, you know, the easiest way for me to determine and know that that would be like my ability to predict that that wasn't going to work was the thought of I am a fairly motivated person that loves fitness. And if I had to work out inside of my you, home, be doing every it. single Same day,
0: I wouldn't if I don't get to the gym, I probably don't work out. I'll occasionally do something at home. And when I say occasionally, I'm talking once every couple months. And I, I rock regularly at, uh, outside. But like for me to do a regular workout plan in my house as a person who owns a fitness business and mentors other people who own fitness businesses, no chance, dude, no way. There's no way the average person is going to go from like, I'm, I'm literally not changing my surroundings at the same place, I usually eat Cheetos and watch Netflix, I'm now going to do fitness. No way, not a chance.
1: I would love to see some research being done on looking at the, the differences. If you were to pick like three key performance indicators of fitness, and you were to look at a group that's working out at home, and then another group doing the exact same workout inside of a gym environment at the differences. So if you were to track like, Calorie expenditure, uh, like heart rate and you know respiratory rate, the, the differences between the two of those. Because I think just that environmental shift in and of itself would be so yeah, without much a doubt. And like you know, you
0: and I both do sales consultations with with leads and potential members. And the easiest way I know that someone's like lying to me is when they say I'm going to do a workout program at home. Like, I know that's not true. I, I'm sorry. I Maybe you're the 0.001% who I'm wrong about, and you're going to make significant lifestyle change. But like when I hear that, I just know, okay, you are not going to make any change. I know this now. You're not serious about this part of your life right now.
1: I mean, that's why we say to our sales team all the time, like the, the best thing that you can do is help the person make it of, of mm-hmm. an informed decision. Because at the end of the day, it's like, that's, that's what this all boils down to is it's like, I want you to make a real decision on your health, because this is likely most people that come into gyms for a consultation have been thinking about this for a very long time, but not doing yeah, it for sure. About and it. like
0: those people, I will much, much more happily refer them to Planet fitness than doing something at home for that very reason. Like if they're not going to work with us, that's okay. Go to a place where you have to have some kind of financial commitment and you have to have some kind of environmental shift because you're not going to make change or you would have done it already. You would have never come in here, you
1: know? Yeah. Now we've seen, there's been quite a shift over the years from personal training to like, you know, very large groups to now like groups plus semi-private to more of a hybrid model. Where do you see from like an operational side uh, and business models perspective, where do you see things going? <sighs> yeah, over it's the interesting. Next I mean, like,
0: I think with... I think you're seeing a lot of people in our space become much more financially successful operating like a small group model. You know, I think that's kind of the, the, the big trend right now, or at least it's the beginning of the big trend. It may not be super popular, but I know inside of two brands it's becoming very popular. I think that's always going to compete with the idea of the general population looking at fitness as like a commodity. You know, the, the fact that planet fitness exists and, and the the 50,000 brands who have copied planet fitness is that they're price anchoring in the opposite way at a very low price point you know so if you if you are a gym you are always competing with that whether whether your service is anything like that you're going to have to compete with that because they have inundated the market with gyms cost between nine and thirty five dollars a month you know now you and i both know and many people i'm sure are listening to this know that our gyms are nothing like planet fitness and i'm not even saying that they're necessarily better although i obviously think they are I'm just saying that they are literally not the same thing at all. Um, But because of that, we will always have to deal with a smaller or or I guess I would say lower price point than it's probably appropriate. Like imagine you go to something every single day for a month. You should probably pay more than a hundred bucks for that. Like you're like, you're getting significantly more ROI on that, that the idea is because (laughs) of that, I think larger groups are probably going to have to always continue to exist because there will need to be a, a lower, you know, a comparably lower price point than to like a small group training or personal training style program. Um, so I think what we'll see is, is continued shift in the smaller size of groups, but there'll still be groups around.
1: Yeah. I think ultimately we're playing this game of trying to maintain a level of fun and effectiveness and, and, and the ways in which we make that happen. I think it depends on how the individual defines them, right? So like what one person finds fun for their fitness may not be what the other person does and how one person defines effectiveness may not be what the other person does. So for example, like I have people that come to my gym and they don't have any sort of like astronomical fitness goal, uh, but effectiveness for them is they leave feeling better than they came, right? Um, Whereas I have people that have very specific very, uh, uh, you know, upper echelon fitness and performance-based goals that they give their soul t- to accomplish, right? So their their definitions of effectiveness can change a lot. And fun for that person is coming in and like going h- as hard as they can on every single workout. But I think that what we can do is is create an identity with our gyms to attract one or both of those people, depending on how you run your gym. And whether that be in a small, whether that be best uh, accomplished in a small group, whether it be best accomplished in a large group or best accomplished one-on-one, I think is just to be determined by yeah, the market. I, I, and the I just wish owners.
0: that I wish people would, would take a little more control over their own, uh, over their own goals here. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just talking about like human psychology in general. Like I wish people would say like, Hey, I want this thing. Therefore I recognize that I may have to sacrifice something to achieve this thing. Maybe that that something is some of my time, some of my money, some of my ability to do X or Y because of the return I'll get for doing that. Um, And if if the general population would do that more, I think they'd both see better results and be happier. Um, But, you know, we're talking about very deep psychology at that point that we don't have the ability to shift in any way, you know?
1: Well. Nick, I know we can keep going here, but we are an hour and five in. Um, I really appreciate you getting on the podcast. Uh, I knew this was going to be an awesome conversation. I would definitely love to have you on again. Uh, tell the listeners yeah, thanks, where they man. can learn um, more about you.
0: You can find me on Instagram at, uh, at Nick Haddish. Uh, you can check out my gyms at, at sharkbite.fit. Um, if you want to check out the Sharks, we're in the playoffs. Uh, check out at SWFL Sharks on Instagram. Um, we got websites all at the same names too, but I know that everybody uses social media
1: at this point. So just check us out there. Fantastic. Well, hey, thanks again for coming on. If you feel like the gym is one big confusing and intimidating playground, a personalized coach from Hard Bad Athletics can work with you remotely to help match your goals to an actionable plan. You'll get workout videos and descriptions and have access to coaching calls to make adjustments when you need them. Let us take the guesswork out of your fitness and nutrition. Visit www.hardbatathletics.com to chat with a coach today.